On Thursday, February 24th, when Russia invaded Ukraine in the early hours of the morning, the unthinkable happened. By that weekend, Kyiv, the country's cultural capital and clubbing destination, became a war zone, and citizens found themselves torn between the decision they never thought they would have to make, to leave their country or to defend their ground. About 1.5 million people have now fled from its borders, sparking a humanitarian crisis, while others, including the president, Volodymyr Zelensky, have stayed behind to fend off Russia's advances in a stand of resistance and love before their home. Everyday citizens, from school teachers to former DJs, are now training to take up arms for the very first time, and even preparing cases of homemade Molotov cocktails to ward off encroaching Russian troops in a united war effort. In this podcast, we weave together the story of Timur, aka John Object, a producer born and raised in Kyiv, who went from creating EPs of glitch-heavy underground club music to fighting for his country in Ukraine's territorial defense force. We're all completely fucking shocked to the max. We attended the demonstration at Brandenburg Tour in Berlin to speak to anti-war protesters from the Ukrainian diaspora. Margarita, resident advisor, city manager, and local promoter from Kyiv, recounts the emotional toll of war. On her way out of the country, she called us from Lviv, a city in western Ukraine near the Polish border. I can't feel pain now, and I can't cry anymore because it won't help me. Then we interviewed the volunteers coordinating refugee arrivals in one of Berlin's main train stations. I think it is also my task to support with all the force and power which I have and possibilities. You're listening to the RA Exchange, source material, and I'm your host, Whitney Way, the editor-in-chief of Resident Advisor. On Thursday, February 24th, after Russia attacked in the early hours of the morning, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky introduced a martial law across the nation, encouraging civilians to come forward and take up weapons that would be provided by the government. It also mandated that men ages 18 to 60 must remain to defend the country. The next day, Timor, known by his artist moniker John Object, went on Instagram Live to field questions from his community. Uh, hey everyone, can you, can you hear me? In the series of clips within, he deconstructs the politics of Ukraine and Russia and reflects on facing his own mortality before enlisting in the civilian military service. So I'm a Ukrainian, I live in Kiev. I was born here, I've lived here all my life, I'm still here. And someone is saying, we're all completely fucking shocked to the max. That's true. I, I never really, like, I knew that situation will get worse, but I never quite expected, like, like this. Yeah, I was working for the past maybe a couple of months. I was working on a project of songs with me singing in Ukrainian, which would be, like, anti-war songs, but also, like, angry and kind of almost punk and industrial and it would be like a new alias a new album or whatever uh, i guess that's not going to happen now yeah i'll stay in kiev and i'll i'll try to possibly join the territorial defense tomorrow i actually just come back from the offices where you could enlist 
and I've tried to enlist, but they told me it's at 7, 7 p.m. Told me it's a bit too late, I should come back tomorrow. But I have zero military experience. I have zero knowledge about how to shoot a gun or whatever, unfortunately. Well, I have some idea, but I very much want to be uh, be with the army and the people and be useful somehow because there's no other thing I could compare it to. It's not even like the pandemic, you know, which remember was scary. It was terrifying. And you thought maybe I'll, maybe someone's going to die or no, no, it's just now it's not that you're going to die. It's that you're going to be killed. Russia should not be a country or government that you sympathize with as a leftist or even as a tanky or a communist or whatever. No, just it, it's not. It's a country where there's no freedom of speech. There's massive, unbelievable corruption. There's people going to prison right now for walking out into the street and holding up a sign that says, do not kill Ukrainians or whatever, you know, no to war, you know. Is that really a country that you can ever sympathize with? No, it isn't. Two days later, Timur gave up his life as he knew it. He posted on his stories that he had joined the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Forces and left his home in Kyiv. Right before his departure, he went on Bandcamp and uploaded the album appropriately titled Life, plus a statement of intent. Currently, he wrote, we are all being bombed. I have no idea what my life is going to be like tomorrow and how much longer I have. So if it felt appropriate to share an archive of my 2010 to 2019 works in case I never get to do that when I'm old. Right with ear-splitting edits and ambient sprawls, it's 58 tracks that document his evolution as a producer. The two played here are Draft 2010 and Xanax and Silk Live 2016. Timor's highlight reel on Instagram stories has become something of a real-time war diary. On February 28th, Timor recorded that he received his nom de guerre, or his combat nickname, and offered his followers his reason for fighting. I'm here because I love my life, and I love everyone else's, which is the purpose of the Ukrainian army now. The irony that Russians have forced us to live on only carrying firearms is not lost on me. Resident advisor reached out to him for comment on March 3rd about his experiences and received this voicemail in response. Hey, uh, this is Timur, also known as John Object. I'm sorry, but it seems like I will not be able to do this after all. Uh, today has been probably one of the hardest days of my life and certainly the hardest in the service so far. I'm carrying a huge amount of equipment and there's a lot of labor and attention intensive work ahead of me this night. Uh, it is 8 p.m. in Ukraine right now, and I'm gonna be working up finishing, completing the tasks that I've been assigned until at least 10 in the morning. And it's it just, there's not gonna be a convenient time. I mean, it's the army and we're at war. So they never really put in the time for to allow people to record podcasts, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to sound sarcastic, just in case. I'm super grateful for you for reaching out. 
and I uh, thank you for your support and everything. And I hope we can do something soon because I'm certain we will win. There's no question about it in my mind. Thank you. Recently, Timor wrote another letter on his Instagram account imploring his followers to call their local political representatives to pressure the U.S. and its allies to close the sky over Ukraine. He wrote, As an enlisted man, I will most likely remain in the army until the war is fully over. It's not fun, not interesting. I am not making friends. Here, I only have to kill people and not get killed. The old luxuries of making music or seeing my girlfriend or having a full night's sleep or a good meal are unimaginable. I don't want to be here, but I am a Ukrainian and I also don't want to die. This is why I'm asking you to help NATO comprehend how much bloodshed, death, and trauma could be avoided if they close the sky over Ukraine. The letter closely echoes an emotional address given last week by President Zelensky that rebuked NATO for refusing to turn Ukraine into a no-fly zone. Знаючи, що нові удари і жертви неминучі, НАТО свідомо ухвалило рішення не закривати небо над Україною. Усі люди, які загинуть від цього дня, загинуть також і через вас. This measure would prevent Russian missiles and bombardment from destroying Ukrainian cities. All the people who die from this day forward will die because of you, stated Zelensky. Yet President Vladimir Putin has said he would regard the move as actively participating in the armed conflict, leading many Western leaders to consider the no-fly policy as the potential tipping point into World War III. Anti-war demonstrations have erupted around the world since the day that the invasion began. On the same weekend, Russian forces closed in on Ukraine's major cities, including the capital, Kyiv. I joined hundreds of thousands who protested in solidarity in Berlin. It is about 3 p.m. on Saturday the 26th, and I am walking around the demonstration that's in front of the Russian embassy at Bredeberg Tor. You see people gathered with signs, peace for Ukraine. Putin is a murderer. There are many people that have turned out with their flags of Ukraine in the characteristic blue and yellow. So what is your name? My name is Bogdan. All these, um, these songs that people are singing and the things that they're saying, um, is it, are you singing the, national, the Ukraine national anthem? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. And then what else are you saying in Ukrainian We're right now? We're saying glory for past soldiers, uh, glory for our military forces, for our president. Uh, he's very smart, he's very brave, he's standing his point, he's uh, now in Kyiv, and he said that he will be there uh, till the end. Okay, so what is your name and your age? Uh, my name is uh, Margot, and uh, my age is 19. Okay, and are you Ukrainian? Yes, I'm Ukrainian. Okay, so how do you feel right now in the last 
couple of days? How have you? Honestly, uh, this is like I'm really nervous, and I try to stay calm because it's uh, ca- ca- calmness is what uh, our protectors need right now. And so to help uh, Ukraine, uh, my people, I should stay calm and do uh, everything that I can possibly right here in Germany to help my people, my country, my uh, history uh, to live, to protect our boundaries and uh, to live. Um, are your family and your friends still in Ukraine? Uh, yes, my friends still in Ukraine. Uh, lots of people who are very important for me are still there. And um, we are messaging, thanks God, but when, <laughs> when they uh, write me an answer, it's really a relief because I know that they are alive and uh, I know the news. Again, please. Do you know people uh, who are trying to leave, or most of the people you know are trying to fight? I know uh, I know people who uh, live there, and I know people who are right now in the army, especially also in Kiev, where a lot of uh, actions now are happening. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really to receive a message today. Uh, how are you? Uh, we are fine. We are fighting, and uh, okay, <laughs> that's great. I love you. Uh, you know, the hardest thing that this is really after every message that uh, the attack starts, uh, we just say I love you, I love you, because <laughs> it's really hard because we know that it's possible not to see again each other. I'm Margarita from Kiev. I will turn 23 in two months and I'm a DJ promoter. I work for resident advisor. Margarita and I spoke on Monday, February 28th. She called me from Lviv, a city in western Ukraine. She had initially separated from her family and traveled west with her friends with the intention of leaving the country, but extended her stay because she found the city safe enough to help on the ground. Just give me an overview about what has been going on in your life since last Thursday. I would like to start from Wednesday, actually. Okay. Because we have on Ukrainian Instagram this uh, flash mob where, you know, on Instagram you can share your photos uh, with this, like, one question and everyone shares it. So it's a question, share a photo, last photo before the war. So my last thing before the war is me with my friends on Podil in a bar. It was not easy topics we talked about because we talked about what can happen soon but we were supporting each other laughing drinking (laughs) listening to ukrainian music and then i got home i didn't sleep that night and i was i was checking the news you know the whole night and then 5 a.m 
I heard the news from first minutes. A lot of my friends woke up because of the sound of bombs, but I didn't sleep. I tried not to panic. One time it did happen to me. I called my mom and uh, I was crying really bad. And I was talking to my mom and just saying, okay, mom, I'm in panic. I know that. Can I tell you what I feel? And I want to stop that panic because I need to act now. I need to put my stuff into backpack and get ready. This one backpack is everything that I have now. Because I know experience from my friends from Donbass who leave their cities with thoughts that, okay, I will, I will go back soon. I will take everything I need. And they never came back. So I knew about that and I understood that my backpack now I need to put everything that I need for my future life. I met my brother and we actually came to the basement only in the evening when the sirens started. Yeah, and we slept there on Thursday night. What made you decide that you wanted to leave on Friday? Uh, I wanted to leave on Thursday, but it was a hard decision because... It could be dangerous to leave, you know, when everything everywhere is bombed. You don't know where it's going to happen next. You don't know if, if, like, every airport got bombed. So you don't know if it will happen with trail station also. You don't know if you go there and something happens. And my, my family also, they said it's safer to stay at the place where you have food, where you have water. You can wait, and then you go when it's safe, or maybe it will end soon, you know? My friends left, some of them on Thursday, and on Friday I made another attempt to, to go to the train station, and I called a taxi, which was really expensive, <laughs> but it, it didn't matter. I called a taxi, but my brother didn't uh, want to come, so last minute I cancelled it. Because I didn't want to go along to, I don't understand where and how. Of course, it's it's a mess with people trying to leave. So you don't want to be alone. And it was a good decision not to go there for that moment. And just in an hour or something, I got the chance to go with my friends. They had a place in the car. Which city are you in now? Uh, to a small city called Dubno. I came by car with my friends. When we were going to Zhitomir, which is the, the next city to Kiev, it's usually two hours to get there. We, we were on the road for nine hours. How are you helping and how are your friends helping right now? We are trying to make everything that we can to be useful, to make change. And it's really inspiring what Ukrainians do. It's really inspiring because everyone does something. Like, the thing that everyone can do is we are attacking Russian websites to block them, DDoS attacks. You can do it with your computer. You just block uh, all of that uh, Russian propaganda websites and stuff. Uh, also, my friends are going to, to defend our lands. War shifts everything, you know? We are pacifists. 
we are absolute pacifists, me and my friends, and it's so strange how it shifts everything. Because now people are ready to kill, only to defend themselves. And before that, you know, we have a war for eight years, and before that, it was a little bit hard for me to understand how can you go and kill people. And now I understand. Imagine that someone will come to your house to try to kill you. Mm-hmm. Not to try, to kill you. What will you do? If you have the opportunity to fight, will it get to that point? Would you defend your country in the way that other people are picking up weapons and defending Ukraine? You, you know, it's uh, absolutely understandable for us that only people who are ready psychologically and physically, only people who are ready, they are doing that. People who are not ready, they're helping in any other way. But all of us are dependent. All of us are dependent. And it's so surreal, actually, to talk to you right now about these topics. It's so surreal. Seriously. I'm a pacifist. And we just wanted to stop. We don't want to kill anyone, you know? I'm like, I'm talking about that. We don't want that. We just live in our land and want to be free. I mean, we are free. We just want to stay free. That's the thing. And just people are coming without a knowledge why they're coming here to kill us, to kill our families, to ruin our home. This is surreal and this is insane. Are you afraid? Or have you been processing certain fears in the past few days? There's absolutely no meaning in feeling pain and fear right now. I mean, you just stop in that feelings. Because when I think about Kiev, when I think about my friends, of course I'm afraid for them, but I can't let it grow in my mind. When you talk to your friends who are still in Kiev, what are they saying about what's going on right now? It's an interesting conversation. Hello, how are you? Have you eat today? Oh no, sorry. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, I was playing piano today, but I forgot to eat. Thank you for reminding Hey, how are you? Oh, it's really scary. There were shootings, not shootings, but fights in, in the woods close to our house. I'm really afraid, but we're staying here. It will be okay. Everything will be good. It's crazy. I love you. I love you too. Stay strong. Stay strong. See you soon. Margarita has since left Ukraine. Her mother and sister also came to Lviv and decided to leave the country. After much doubt, Margarita decided to join them and is now staying in Warsaw, Poland. 
An estimated 1.5 million people have fled from Ukraine in the past 10 days, sparking a humanitarian crisis. This has been the fastest displacement of people in Europe since World War II. Many refugees have entered into Poland and are moving westward into Germany. On Tuesday, March 8th, I visited Zudkreid Station, one of Berlin's four main transportation hubs and entry points for refugees. Makeshift tents staffed by volunteers have popped up seemingly overnight at these hubs, with supplies and helping hands organized over citywide telegram groups. These massive group chats range from general information about signing up for volunteer shifts to more focused support for marginalized BIPOC and LGBTQA individuals leaving Ukraine. I am outside one of the main transportation hubs in Berlin, Zudkoit. It is a beautiful sunny day around 3 p.m. And this is one of the points along with Hofbenhof and another station to the north that are welcoming refugees as they arrive on trains from the Ukraine. And in the site before me, there are several tables where people are filling out paperwork. They have their luggages with them. And there are several tables, one of them that has an LGBTQ rainbow flag where people are taking information. And there are a number of coordinators with highlighter, green, and orange vests. There are massive pallets of water and coffees and toiletries and hygiene boxes, fruits and vegetables to offer for help. It looks relatively quiet right now, and I'm going to go interview some coordinators to see how they're faring in the past couple of days and what their work entails. I first spoke to Joseph, who only began volunteering that day, but shared with me his experiences transporting refugees from the Polish border to Dusseldorf. How have you been involving yourself in uh, volunteering and helping out Ukrainians? First of all, I mean, just on my own is my decision. I have the second reason was many friends are coming from there, from, in my case. And I mean, generally the occasion of the war is, I think it's, it's not the best think what can happen to the humanity so I think it is also my task to support as soon as I can with all the force and power which I have and possibilities. And can you tell me how long you've been here for? At the center I just uh, really started from this week and in the last week I had also some uh, possibilities to travel with the humanitarian support to the border of uh, uh, between uh, Poland and Ukraine to bring some uh, food for children and on the way back we just took to all people from there and uh, brought them to Dusseldorf so it was rather it's only from there to the direction to the Düsseldorf. It's only 1,600 kilometers, only one direction. Mm-hmm. It's a rather tough way. Yeah, right. What has it been like to, to greet these people and to welcome them? Has, has it been an emotional experience? Have you been able to talk to them about their experiences escaping? Yeah, sure. I mean, these were already grown-up people mm-hmm. uh, who, yes, they have much seen in their life and even concerning this they were also very tired and they have never believed in reality that would even happen one day so nevertheless they could 
speak about it with not the greatest pleasure, which I can understand, but um, or other way they could just relieve something, some information from themselves, yeah. release some information and just to speak with somebody who is not involving in this directly so that somebody can have an open ear for them and to yeah. listen to them. And, uh, like I an think, emotional support or something like that? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, was, I was driving at this moment, uh, mm -hmm. but I think that was uh, also for them a good possibility just to speak about this, mm -hmm. just to get their emotion free and uh, not to discuss it, just to let them speak mm -hmm. and uh, they were anyway, they were so tired that uh, they could not and wanted not also uh, not doing this very long. So yeah. they just wanted really just sleeping because they had to run for 20 kilometers by, by them own from to the border till the Polish guys for the car could help them and put them on the car and bring them directly to the border. Wow. Okay. So then, well, yeah. walk, walking 20 kilometers. He was. 72 and wow. she was 75 I think. Okay, where where are they now? You brought them to Dusseldorf and they have housing? In they, yes, their daughter is living there, mm -hmm. so uh, it was just a randomizing message from her that we just told them that we are on the border, we can take two people mm -hmm. and uh, especially that we are going so far, so she comes to us and said she would be very lucky then we will wait for them, so we had to wait for three or four hours till they have passed the border. And as soon as it happened, we just met them at this um, meeting point. She sent us also some photos of them so we can recognize them. And as soon as they arrived, uh, I just directly came up to them and said, we are just supporters and uh, from your daughter and we would like to bring you to Dusseldorf. And then we started at once. So okay. at three, three or four o'clock in, uh, in the night, we just started. Then I spoke to Pat, one of the main coordinators standing outside of the bus station, helping the new arrivals, who gave me a brief overview of the operations. So what we are doing here at Zutkoit is like we greet the people, we welcome them, and we offer them basically our help. Meaning if they search for accommodation, we try to find them accommodation. If they need to get somewhere within Berlin, we try to get them there. Okay. Basically, public transportation is for free, right? If you have a Ukrainian passport or if you hold the residency card. In this case, we send people with them. Berlin can be very confusing, so that's why we give them someone who probably speaks their language and can just show them a way around. We are having people here, they're taking care of accommodation. We have an accommodation team that is specifically just for that. We have also people taking care of supplies and two or three people on the ground that take, um, that are keeping track of these huge telegram groups. Then there's also higher ranking positions that are in communication with each other to coordinate the whole thing. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm coordinating, basically, I scream at volunteers and tell everybody what, they, um, what they're gonna do. What we're not accepting right now in terms of supplies is clothing clothing and stuff like this because people all of a sudden everybody wants to help right yes and so they start uh, sorting out the stuff that they don't want anymore and most of the people i have to say are very helpful but there is also people who get mad when we send them away because we have enough mm -hmm. and then i tell them are you here for your conscience or do you really want to help Okay, okay. Right. So there's been some frustrations that you've been feeling in the past couple of days. Well, there were people, well, some people, not too many, not too many. The most people are very welcoming and stuff. I know it can be frustrated when they're sent away, 
Yeah. But this is also very important. Don't be frustrated when you're sent away. We are doing a great job. We, we are establishing a team and we are establishing our structure. This is the RA Exchange, source material. Our production team for this specific episode includes Guy Clark and myself, Whitney Way, with select music by John Object. Many thanks to Margarita Evie, Katie Thomas, Chloe Lula, and resident advisor's senior producer of podcasts, Martha Pazianti Caden. For those who felt moved by this episode to help stand with Ukraine, please visit ra.co for a regularly updated list of resources. Thank you so much for listening.